This is the second part of the long episode of ChatGPT in the college classroom, whether it should be banned or allowed. Uh, it's it's a very deep topic, uh, but I decided to record it in two episodes, so not making any one of them too long, and release both of them at the same day. So this is the second half. In this half, I'm going to talk about cheating and trust. So uh, this time, I'm going to talk more about the uh, use in the classroom and and frankly, the purpose of education in general. And you know, at the end, I want to sound very optimistic because I see an opportunity. I see an opportunity that ChatGPT brings to the classroom, and I'll talk about this at the end, right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? The next question we we need to address, or the first one today, is: uh, Is using ChatGPT does using ChatGPT constitute cheating? Cheating is a heavy word. It's a strong word that takes us back into the discussion of trust, which is really the focus of this podcast in general. The trust, the trust show. So, trust. Part of trust is personality compatibility. Okay. Um, I can even argue that the um, the the competence part of uh, my relative trust model is affected by using ChatGPT because when you use ChatGPT, I don't know how competent really you are in creating answers yourself. But but then again, if that's a tool that's going to be available for you, then who cares? But but let me focus on the personality compatibility part because I think that's a bigger one. Now, when there are actual rules, and, and I talked about that, that, that part of personality compatibility is this area between the legal bar and the ethical bar. Okay, so uh, if there are actual rules that say you cannot use ChatGPT and using ChatGPT is banned, period, and you're using it, you're probably below anybody's ethical bar because you're below the legal bar. You you actually crossed a legal line. And, and even if the legal line is, uh, uh, you know, I just read an article uh, that came out a few days ago that said that uh, some universities are already banning ChatGPT. They're not letting you use ChatGPT. So I think it's a lower bar to cross when you violate a university or any other policy, written policy, a rule, a, a, a regulation, not to mention the law, right? If, if this was a law that said that you can't use ChatGPT. So some universities are already banning it. And if you are using it, then the level of personality compatibility you're going to have with somebody who follows the rules is going to be declining, is going to be low. Now, that other person can be a fellow student or your professor or teacher, if it's K through 12. Uh, 
if that professor says, I don't care if you break the law, break the university rules, then they're not going to have a problem with you using it. If the university said you can't. But then we go into a more of the gray area, and that's the ethical standards. Do I consider it ethical to use ChatGPT? If if I use if I consider it ethical and so do you, it's it's above our both our ethical bars. Then uh, there is no trust issue between us. The problem obviously starts with one of us says uh, the use of ChatGPT comes below my ethical bar. Maybe it's still above the legal bar or the rules, uh, but it's still below my ethical bar. And the fact that you're using it for you using ChatGPT is be- above your ethical bar, which puts on this topic, puts your ethical bar below mine. And that's a personality compatibility issue. Now, the question is, how important is it to me uh, to affect the level of trust that I have in you? So that's kind of how uh, cheating fits, fits into that. And it's not just chat GPT. It's, it's cheating in general. It's, it's what, what is our definition for cheating? Now, is using chat GPT plagiarizing? Are you plagiarizing when you're using chat GPT? I mean, on one hand, you're using other people's content. On the other hand, aren't you doing it anyway? I think the bigger difference is, do you represent this as your own work? And that, I think, is a big deal. If you get ChatGPT to do something for you, and then you present it as your own work, as your own original work, I I should be more specific, I'm talking about original work, then there is a problem. I would say that fits a general definition of your cheating. You're, you, you're letting somebody do the work for you. And, and, you know, in one of the comments I got was uh, there's apparently a pretty uh, successful industry called term paper mills. And it was even an article that said uh, Chad GPT would kill the term paper mills. Uh, I'm guessing that's a good thing. But, you know, apparently students uh, pay... Others, typically offshore, not here in the U.S., but obviously people who can write in English uh, to pass uh, a professor's scrutiny, and they um, they use those or, or they pay those people to write term papers for them. So they're cheating. Now tell me that they don't think that they're cheating. Uh, I think the biggest issue is the misrepresentation part here. The, the cheating it really comes down to misrepresentation. I wrote something and I misrepresent it as my own original work. Not my own work. can be my own work taken from others as long as I say so. So here's a thought. How about if uh, when you're done getting something from ChatGPT, you put a small, uh, I wouldn't even call it a disclaimer, but just a small footnote saying created by ChatGPT, generated by ChatGPT. Makes you think, doesn't it? Again, you, you want to avoid the cheating. I talked about that in the first half. Uh, one of the ideas was go back to pen and paper. Um, is this really what we should do? 
go back to pen and paper? Uh, did we just kill the, the use of the computer? Not to mention, I already told you that somebody, as soon as that comment came out of uh, let's use pen and paper, somebody put out that video that said that, that showed how a 3D printer uh, writes in cursive, handwrites, really not handwrites, it's really robot handwrites, uh, a paper that was uh, created by ChatGPT. So unless, you, you know, you're going to start doing it in front of me, the professor. I think there's a problem with that. I think we're going about it the wrong way. And I'll talk more about that when I talk about the purpose of education. Um, should we use AI tools to check assignments? So in other words, uh, a robot will generate the assignment for the student who will submit the assignment to the teacher, who will then submit the assignment to a robot to check the assignment. How, how about we just eliminate the middleman? Let's eliminate the student and the teacher. And um, obviously, it's a tongue-in-cheek comment. I'm, I'm being sarcastic here. Let's cut the middleman. Let's take out the student and the teacher. Let's just have robots ask questions and robots answer questions. And, and we really don't need education anymore, right? Or do we? And here comes the uh, big gorilla, the elephant in the room. What is the purpose of education? I mean, we can we can talk about whether we we encourage, allow, discourage, or ban this from college or, or schools in general if we don't talk about the purpose of education. There has been a decline in education. Th this is I'm. Um, I'm sure this is my own position, okay? I know that there are going to be people who argue with me. And the question is, how do we measure it? Do we measure it by uh, the grades? Because measuring by grades is kind of open to manipulation, which we have seen, and, and open to cheating. So what is the purpose of education? I think most people, when you ask them, they're going to say it's to prepare us for work. You know, you go K through 12, it prepares you to work in certain capacities. Uh, you go to uh, college, it prepares you graduate school, it prepares you to, to work. I mean, especially when you go at the higher uh, levels of uh, secondary, higher education, like uh, law school. I mean, it prepares you not just to work, but to work in a very specific position, right? Uh, I went to law school without any intentions of, of practicing law, and, and I still think that, that I got a lot from it. My perspective, and, and I'm, I'm going to quote myself from 11 years ago when I decided, or just over 10 years ago, when I decided to run for the Plano Independent School District Board. To me, the purpose of education was to prepare kids, students, people to be contributing members of society. It's not just to prepare us for work, because what I call work, you may not. Uh, what you call work, I may not. I think because we're a society, because this is something that society does. And in society, we rely upon each other. And we rely upon each other not just to be lawyers, 
but also to have garbage people, people who collect garbage. I, I shouldn't say garbage people, people who collect garbage. We need them. We can't operate without them. People who build buildings, who build homes, just like we need rocket scientists. And, and I know that some people will disagree. Why do we need to conquer space? Why do we need to send someone to Mars? If that's the definition, if that falls under the definition of being contributing members for society or of society, then we need them. We need artists. We need musicians. While some people would say that they don't contribute anything, they do. We do. Psychologists. Thought leaders, people who make you think, people who change the way you think about other things and because of that make you more effective, more efficient, happier, less stressed, trustworthy. I don't know why I didn't think about that one first. But this to me is the purpose of education and we need to always keep that in mind. That education, the purpose of education, again, this is my purpose opinion and and you might be arguing with me except remember that you're listening to a recording i can't really hear you but i believe that the purpose of education is to prepare people to be contributing members of society at different levels at different disciplines here's a question for you have you ever heard the phrase use it or lose it it's like, you know, what is it, uh, health spending account that uh, you, you are putting money aside and you have to, and it's pre-tax, but you have to use it. And if you don't use it by the end of the year, then you lose it, you lost it. Uh, but but does, that, does that apply to our brain? So if we delegate everything to ChatGPT or something like this, whatever tool is available, do we lose the ability to do it in our brain? And more importantly... Is it important? So, will it make us dumber if, if we totally delegate? Because, you know, the, the less you do something, the less good you are at it. That, that's period. So, if you can't generate answers and you let ChatGPT do that for you, uh, unless you can rely on, on it all the time, then... Um, then you, you, you're not going to be as good as if you did that all the time. You know, I, I can probably do certain things better than other people, uh, not because I'm smarter, not because I'm, I'm more talented, but because I do it more than others. So what if we will not be able to write? You know, we're talking about cursive. What, what if we couldn't write in cursive? Because we apparently we don't spend time out of the 14,000 hours that uh, you have kids in school um, between K and, and 12th grade. What if we don't spend time on cursive? What will happen when they finally need to write in cursive and their lives depends on it? Well, would you ever get to that position? By the way, one of the best examples of uh, use it or lose it is uh, came from my first trip to Japan. I, I was at one of the best hotels there. Uh, was very high end hotel, so it's you know we're not talking uh, low end here, high end. And I went to breakfast, and there was this uh, little silo, this little um, container with uh, granola. Except it didn't say granola. 
it said granora with with two r's there was no l there granora and first i thought well that's that's weird i mean it's not like r and l look the same or sound the same it's just that they sound the same to japanese people and the reason is because that distinction doesn't exist in the japanese language and so when they grew up, when you're born, your brain can distinguish any different letters or tones or, or continents or, or consonant or anything else. But if you grow up without needing the ability to distinguish an R from an L, you end up not able to do that. I don't see any Japanese people dying in the streets because they can't do that. I don't see that as a survival issue to, to anyone who lives in Japan. One of the first Japanese companies I dealt with uh, when I came here to the U.S., uh, the person kept referring to uh, one of my colleagues as Lon. His name was Ron. It just it sounded the same to him. So I think when you think about delegating things to ChatGPT or anything else for that matter, um, how important is it that you don't have the ability to do it yourself anymore? So th th there are two questions here that, that are embedded in one. One is what will happen if the ability, this, this external ability that you rely on is not available to you? And two is how important is the fact that you're not going to be able um, unless the answer is it's going to kill you. If, you know, worse comes to worse, I'm not able to use chat GPT. I'll do something else. It's, the, the world's not going to come to an end. Then, then why not? Why not use this shortcut? There is another point that uh, that I need to make that, that a few people did make. I'm, I'm going to make it. I'm going to clarify it, and that's that, that you can't really use it anywhere. Uh, I read somebody that that said that it actually did generate a business plan. I'm, I'm not sure what kind of business plan it generated. What I teach in college is is starting a business. It's it's how to build a, a new business, and more importantly, how to. Um, evaluate the, the value of your business and and how much demand will there be and do people really need that that is what i would call highly contextual content chat gpt is not great about that it's not great about creating highly contextual content I'm going to go a step beyond and say that it doesn't necessarily generate new knowledge. And then I'll talk more about that in, in the next segment. Um, it, it's recycling old knowledge. And, you know, creating a new business requires you to uh, recycle, to, to generate new content, creative or regional content. Obviously, nobody's going to invest in your company if what you're doing is doing the same thing that everybody else. Here is something that I want to read from the ChatGPT FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions section uh, of their website. It says, ChatGPT is not connected to the internet, and it can occasionally produce incorrect answers. 
it has limited knowledge of world and events after 2021 and may also occasionally produce harmful instructions or biased content. We recommend checking whether responses from the model are accurate or not. If you find an answer uh, is in, in, uh, incorrect, uh, please provide us with feedback by using the thumbs down button. Uh, ChatGPT itself recognizes that that it may. I'm not sure why why it says it's not connected to the internet. I mean, it works in the internet. Um, it's probably a matter of what they meant uh, when they said that. But um, it's it's good for some things, and and like every tool, I'm I'm back to the Gartner's hype cycle. What can you use it for? And if there is something you can use it for, then by all means. And, and, and there's nothing wrong if, if all of a sudden that ability is not available to you externally by ChatGPT or anything else. Either you'll be able to do it yourself, even though you kind of lost practice, or it's not the end of the world that you can't. Then why not? Use it. My first exposure to Bloom's taxonomy was uh, when I actually started working on my PhD, and apparently it's uh, uh, pretty common knowledge what Bloom's taxonomy is. Uh, heck, Shira, my daughter, was not even done with her her undergraduate degree, although it is in education, um, can tell me more about Bloom's taxonomy than I knew when I started my PhD program. Bloom's taxonomy, consider it kind of six layers of uh, thinking. Okay, layers of thinking, layers of cognitive uh, abilities. And it actually changed in 2001. And I'm, I'm going to give you the original model uh, that was before 2001 in, in the 2001 model. I believe the original one was from the 50s, but not 100% sure. Um. So the lowest level was knowledge. And knowledge, their definition is it involves, it involves the recall of specifics and universals, the recall of methods and processes, the recall of a pattern, structure, or setting. In other words, it's knowing information. And by the way, the 2001 update uh, still has uh, layer one as remember. It, it's just it, it uses action words rather than um, nouns. So it's remember, it's recognizing, it's recalling. This is like, I'm going to tell you something and I need you to be able to say it back to me. I don't need you to understand it. Not yet. I need you to be able to say it back to me. Uh, or you can read or you can watch a video or anything. I need you to be able to say it back to me. Can ChatGPT do that? I think so. I think it's going to be very good at that. Uh, you know, when, when you do Google search, uh, you're going to get a whole lot of content, but, but it's not really organized as an answer. And I think ChatGPT can do fairly well on that level. So that's level one, knowledge or in the 2001 update, remember. Level two in the original one is comprehension. And the definition is refers to a type of understanding or apprehension such that the individual knows what is being communicated and can make use 
of the material or idea being communicated without necessarily relating it to other material or seeing it in, in its fullest uh, implications. And, and in the 2001 update, it, it changed to an action word of understand, which, which really is, is a very good word to use. It's interpreting, exemplifying, classifying, summarizing, inferring. I'm not sure about inferring, but comparing, explaining. So this is not just the data. You don't just repeat the data, but you really understand it. So if I'm asking you a question... I don't want you to tell me what I told you last week. I want you to demonstrate that you understand it. Can ChatGPT do that? I'm not sure anymore. And that is definitely a skill that, that I need students to have at, at all levels. Their ability not just to repeat it, but to understand what does it mean. What does it mean? You know, I'm telling you that uh, ABC has happened. What does it mean? That's, that's another layer. And you know, if, if our assignments at school, whether it's college or not, is go are going to be limited to just tell me what I told you or what you read in the material that I gave you or referred you to, then we're stuck at the lowest level of Bloom's taxonomy, lowest out of six. I need to ask, I need you to demonstrate that you really understand what I said. But wait, it gets worse or better, depending on how we look at it. Level three is application. And in the new model, it's, um, it's called apply. So this refers to the use of abstractions in particular and concrete situations. This is the contextuality that I talked about. This is why I'm not worried if my students use ChatGPT. Really, all, all it can do is make their work look better, read better. I don't care. That Use it by all means. But I need you to use it on our set of circumstances. You know, one of the best concepts that I ever got from law school was the concept of the precedent. So it's, this is how the law applied to previous cases. Now that I understand it, I get the rationale from it. I can apply it to a new set of circumstances. Can ChatGPT do that? I think that, you know, the higher we go with ChatGPT, you're going to see that the, it's, it's less and less probable that ChatGPT, at least in its current form, can actually do it. But is it important? Is it important that students don't just collect information, they understand it and they are capable of applying it to a new set of cir circumstances they never read about? Very it's very important. Not very well served with ChatGPT. We're at layer four. There are six, remember. Analysis. 
Love that one. It represents, this is the original from the original uh, definition, uh, pre-2001. Analysis represents the breakdown of a communication into its constituent elements or parts, such as the relative hierarchy of ideas is made clear and or the relations between ideas expressed are made implicit. The 2001 definition, um, more action-oriented, analyze, differentiating, organizing, attributing. So this is, it's not just, uh, you know, you know, at level three, you're taking kind of, everything was a black box. You understand how the black box operates. You know what kind of inputs it used and therefore what kind of outputs it generated. And now you're applying it to a new set of circumstances. And based on your understanding of how it operated in other cases, you can apply them to your case. Analysis means it can't be a black box anymore. You have to open it up and you have to be able to understand how it works and therefore how it would apply to other cases. Does ChatGPT do that? Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to continue and say, does ChatGPT do that? Because the answer, first, the answer is no. And two, I don't want to sound bad or, or negative or down on ChatGPT. It's not. I think it's a brilliant tool. Uh, and I'll talk more about that in, in uh, the later part towards the end. But um, it, it's just that it can do that. So I'll, I'll just talk about the, the six layers. So analysis is your ability to open that black box and see how it works, how it operates, the relationships, the, the components in there, how each one of them works, how they work together, how they rely on each other. That's layer four, analysis. Layer five, this is where the original model has changed into the new model. Uh, the original model had synthesis, and I'll talk about the, the two layers in the original and then uh, in the uh, new one. So uh, synthesis, that involves putting together the elements and parts so as to form a whole. So this is to form something new. So if you take one model and of how certain things operate, and then you take another model, how certain things operate, and you put them together, you create a new model. So this is what I've done with the relative trust model. I took things that, you know, components that worked and elements that worked before with, with certain relationships, and I put them together to create something new. But, but it's, it was really synthesizing existing things. The sixth layer in the original model is evaluation, and their definition, evaluation, engenders judgment about the value of material and methods to given purpose. This is where we go to, to Wikipedia. You know, should you be able to use Wikipedia? And, and you know, I'll, I'll talk about that in, in a second, uh, so so I'll, I'll leave it for now, but... Uh, should, should we use Wikipedia? Should you use Wikipedia as a source? So this is where you're starting to be able to evaluate whether the source you're using is actually of value. Is, is it trustworthy? Should we trust this as a source? You know, last week when I talked about the uh, relationship between uh, working remotely and productivity, I, I didn't give an opinion because I started collecting information and the information or not not information the sources my sources that i got were inconsistent they were in both sides what's the first thing that you do you evaluate whether this is a good source or not 
you know, and, and there are different tools and, and mechanisms, but, but it's really your mental, your cognitive ability to say, this is a source I can rely on. And if I'm building a model for something, I can rely on the information I got from this source as opposed to another source. U.S. Census Bureau, can you rely on that to gather information on demographics? A university that has done a thorough research on something, can you rely on them? As opposed to somebody who just, you know, threw an article in, I don't know, some kind of an unknown blog. So evaluation is your ability to judge the value of the content that, that you're relying on. Now, in 2001, there was an update. I, I talked about that in the previous uh, four layers. Um, and the model really changed the top two layers. So now the layer five is evaluate, which used to be uh, six before. Uh, changing, uh, critiquing. Um, and level six is create. Create something new. And I believe that synthesize synthesis uh, kind of fit into the create. This is when you're generating something new, you're planning, you're producing something that did not exist before. Remember what I thought the, the, um, uh, the, the purpose of education is? It's to prepare us to be contributing members of society. Now, it depends on what your role is. Do you need to operate? Do you need to study? Do you need to be able to think at the highest layers of Bloom's taxonomy? Not for everything. But in some positions, in some things, you should. You know, if, if I'm teaching students, graduate students, how to build new businesses, I think it's important that they think at the upper layer of create, creating. Now, you, you know, when I talk about, even when I talk about the application, which is layer three and, and evaluation, which is layer five or six, uh, you know, the, the ability to, to know that you're applying credible sources. Uh, I'm going back to something I told you I'll get back to. Uh, can you use Wikipedia? Should you allow to use Wikipedia? And, and I remember that in university, in college, they told me you cannot use Wikipedia. Well, I'm not sure that they they said it right. It's not that you can't use Wikipedia. I use Wikipedia all the time. The question is, how do you use it? And that's the same question that you should ask on ChatGPT or anything else. How do you use it? I use Wikipedia to give me a general, pointing me in the general direction. It has sources. It gives me some terminology. In many times, using Wikipedia is my starting point, but then I do further research. I get deeper into sources that I evaluate as credible sources, as trustworthy sources, sources that, that I can rely on to build models, to create new things. I mean, the last thing you want to do when you create something is to find that one of your foundation blocks is not of value and not real, not, not true, because you haven't evaluated your sources. And, and I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to be pretty blunt here, and I'm going to say that if your assignment, 
an assignment that you give as a professor in college or even as a teacher, but this this discussion is mainly aimed at college. If your assignment can be done with ChatGPT, which obviously thinks only on the lower layers of Bloom's taxonomy, you are not pushing your students to think. You're not pushing them to be real strong contributing to society, creative contributing to society. Even if they don't do it at ChatGPT, by the way, if you're not pushing them to think at the higher layers of Bloom's taxonomy, you're, you're, you're not pushing them hard enough. I could go on and on, but uh, I think I made a full circle. And it's time to wrap this up. And it's time for me to answer whether I think you should encourage allow, discourage, or ban ChatGPT or similar artificial intelligence engines in your classroom. I think it comes down to a very simple thing. Motivation. What is the motivation to learn? Because I'll tell you something. Incentives drive behavior. If the metric that you're using today in the education system is the test results, and unfortunately it is, it's the tests done in school that reflect on the uh, your your average grades and uh, and GPA and and that reflects on your entry exams and on your GMAT or any other um, uh, entrance exam you, to university and to graduate school. If that's, the ins- if that's what's being incentivized, it will always be about the grade. And the end justifies the means. That's how it works. That's how incentives drive behavior. Now, this is not totally up to me. I mean, I know that my students are driven to to significant extent by the grades. I'm going to tell you a secret. And I hope the university is not hearing it. I tell my students in the first lesson of a semester, our first meeting, probably in the first 15 minutes, nobody is going to get less than a B in my class. And there are going to be very few Bs in this class. Heck, there are even very few A minuses. Pretty much almost everybody gets an A. And I tell them it's, it's, it takes effort not to get an A in my class. Don't worry about the grade. Worry about what you get out of it and how is this going to serve you in life. And I think that it's not until I tell them that that you're not going to fail this class. You're not going to get less than a B, probably not even a B. You're going to get an A or an A minus. That gets out as an incentive. That goes away as an incentive. It's no longer the incentive that drives their behavior. And now they start thinking about what am I going to get out of this class? You know, one of the things just to um, discourage them from, from, you know, lying is I I tell them at the beginning, I ask them, why are you in this class? And and I tell them any answer is okay, including the answer. I needed two more credit hours and the only time I could take them was Wednesday evening. That's, That's a valid answer too. I don't care. By the way, the other thing that I tell them is, look, 
you're worried about grades. And remember that in my class, they have to come up with ideas for for new businesses and and kind of uh, write the business plan for them. And I tell them, it's going to be an order of magnitude easier for you to get an A in my class than to get me to say you have a great idea or even a good idea. I remember in in, uh, one of the more recent semesters, uh, they all submitted their their ideas after the first uh, uh, meeting. And I looked at the ideas and I asked them, what do you think the probability is of any of those being successful? And, you know, one of them said 80%. If I'm launching this, it's 80%. And another one was like "Ah, 40 to 60%. I'm like, I looked at all of your submissions. The best one maybe would have 0.5%. You're not going to get me to say great job if it's not, because I think that that's one of the uh, uh, one of the reasons why you shouldn't trust me. If I tell you that it's a great idea when it's not, whether you know it or not, the fact that I know it is enough. Don't worry about the grade. It's an order of magnitude easier to get an A in my class than to get me to say it's a great job. If you want something to worry about, worry about uh, me saying it's a great job. Come up with a great idea. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to improve the level of education. Instead of worrying whether you should encourage, allow, discourage, or ban ChatGPT in your classroom, worry about pushing your students to think at the higher layers of Bloom's taxonomy. Push them to apply what they know, not just to know, not just to understand. Push them to apply. Push them to analyze, to understand why things happen, why things are connected why things work the way they do and why they don't work the way you expected them to. Push them to synthesize, push them to evaluate the credibility of the sources that they're using and know what sources they can rely on and what sources they cannot rely on. Push them to create. Push them to create new things that did not exist before. Whatever you do, Push them to be contributing members to society in the way society needs them to. As far as ChatGPT, just let them use whatever technology they can. My answer, and after almost two hours, well, an hour and a half of this episode, my answer was encourage. It's available. Use it. Use it well. Remember what your goal is. It's to be contributing member of society. Use ChatGPT. Use whatever you can to help you get there. Again, I'll make that, that little distinction. Use whatever tool, or I should say, get whatever skill you need that relying on things like ChatGPT, if it's not available to you, it's not going to be the end of the world. Or, or it is going to be the end of the world, so you have to have that skill by yourself. But if not having access to ChatGPT or any tool, any technology tool, is going to be okay, not the end of the world, then you don't need that skill. Just use that tool. Don't be afraid of technology. And the way not to be afraid of technology is to use it. Have positive experiences 
spend time with it in person, not rely on other people telling you. So that's intimacy. Until you can trust it. Banning stuff hardly ever does anything to, to promote, to move society forward. I hope this was helpful. I did get on my soapbox on this one. And uh, this has been long, even though it's in two parts. I'll see you next week. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.